push you just a little bit this morning because I'm going to actually ask you to, to be flipping back and forth with another passage of Scripture, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 4. There's two verses that we're going to refer to several times throughout our time this morning in the book of 1 Peter that correspond very, very well with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll, uh, we'll come to the, the 1 Peter chapter 4 verses in a little while here, but I'd like us to just read these first 11 verses. The title of today's message is, Now Concerning Spiritual Gifts. I didn't have a lot of creativity flowing through my bones this week as I crafted that title, and I looked at how Paul started these uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, and I took his first four words, and I put it in my title. And so, uh, if that's plagiarism, I apologize, uh, but I couldn't improve on how Paul started it, so that's how I'm starting <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But no one is given, but to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. Another gifts of healing by one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As we've said, uh, and I'd just like to keep bringing us back so we know where this passage situates and the overall picture of the flow of things, we've been talking about how uh, Paul is addressing different topics and different issues with the Corinthians. Some of those were issues he had seen in their lives and heard about. Others are questions that they asked him about, and this seems to be the latter. This seems to be a, uh, a topic that they brought up in their letter to him, and he now is answering it. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. It's like he's moving on to a new topic. But remember, this is part of a larger section as he's talking about worship. From chapter 11 through the end of chapter 14, Paul is talking about the, the worship in the context of the gathering of God's people. And so now he's turning his attention to spiritual gifts in particularly and how spiritual gifts are to function among the body. And over the next three chapters, he's going to address this because they had, as with many other areas, they had some real issues, some real concerns in what was going on in their midst. And so now he says, now concerning these spiritual gifts, sort of by way of introduction and shifting to this topic. There were those in Corinth who felt possessing gifts was not only important, but it was the thing. It was the most important thing. And they mainly emphasized tongues and also the gift of prophecy as a proof of their spirituality. And we'll get to that in chapter 14. But here in the, in the first introductory, introductory verses, verses 1 through 3, Paul wants them to see 
uh, that if they named Jesus as Lord, then they were truly spiritual people. Uh, they, they were, there were some who were distinguishing their spirituality and by, by letting others know uh, just how spiritual they were. And they felt like if, if you spoke in tongues, if you, if you uh, stood up and, and shared a powerful word of prophecy, then you were better than, you were more spiritual than the others. And this issue just led and fed into the factualism and the divisions that were going on. Paul wanted them to know it wasn't about which spiritual gifts they possessed that made them spiritual. It was who they belonged to that made them spiritual. Belonging to Christ meant that they had the Spirit of God. Giftedness was not the most important issue. Belonging to Jesus was. Nonetheless, Paul wanted these Christians to see more clearly and understand the nature and function of these gifts. So he's going to provide some corrective teaching and, and try to clear up some of their obvious misunderstandings. But as we, as we go through here today, there's a couple of things we won't do uh, with our time this morning just because of time. We're going to skip over verses 4 through 6, and we're going to come back to them next week because there is such a powerful picture of the triune God in these verses, I wanted to just dedicate some time specifically to talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit's ministry among us as his people. And so we're going to jump ahead to verse 7, and really uh, the majority of our time is going to be uh, peeling back the layers on verse 7. And the other thing that we're not going to have time to do this morning, but we will get to, is talking about some of those individual gifts. And we're going to, as we go on here in our study, we'll describe some of those gifts, understand Try to, try to flesh out what that looks like, um, wh what those gifts look like lived among the body. But we're, we're not going to have time to do that this, this morning. But there's an important background to the spiritual gifts that I want us to just see for a moment. The background to the spiritual gifts. Um, certainly, the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God was there bringing people to himself and there were times in, in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God powerfully was manifested in the lives of David or uh, Elijah or Moses or Samuel. Uh, but there, were, there, were, uh, there was a distinct difference. The Old Testament saints looked forward to some kind of an outpouring of God's Spirit that had not been seen before among God's people. They looked ahead to a day when the words of the prophet Joel would be fulfilled. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Joel was looking forward to a time when the Spirit of God would be poured out even on the average people, the, the average Joes like you and I. The, the, it had been seen in, in the lives of, of David's and Elijah's. But he says, even uh, the male and the female servants will receive an outpouring of the Spirit of God. Well, along comes Jesus. And John the Baptist, his forerunner, began to speak of uh, a, a ministry of the Spirit that was, that was new and, and, and unfamiliar to his hearers. He, he says that there's someone who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Those were mysterious words to first century 
Jews. When Jesus began his ministry, he comes bringing the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit in his person. Luke writes this about him in Luke 4.14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The result is that he comes in great power and he, he heals the sick. He casts out demons. He delivers those who are oppressed. Jesus has come to bring the new covenant which will, along with it, institute and bring along this new power of the Spirit, this new presence of the Spirit that had only been seen at times and in certain circumstances in the Old Testament. It wasn't only Jesus who experienced this work, but his disciples as well. And not only during their ministry as they worked alongside of Jesus, but then as Jesus was preparing to ascend in the, into heaven. Do you remember what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to have the power of the Spirit of God just energizing you and be your thrusters as you go out into this world proclaiming the gospel. And you know what? That's exactly what occurred. The new covenant power was manifested in a powerful way there in Acts chapter 2. Are you familiar with the story of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? If you're not, make sure you take some time to read and study it this week. In Acts chapter 2, God's Spirit came upon the disciples as they were praying. And, and all of a sudden, they received this promised Holy Spirit. Jesus had said, I'm going to send you another, uh, uh, there's going to be another one, a, a comforter coming. In John 14, 15, and 16, he begins to explain this to the disciples. And then he, he gives them one last promise in Acts chapter 1, 8, before he ascends into heaven. And that's exactly what happened about 40 days later on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends, and now the followers of Jesus have the indwelling Holy Spirit in and among them. And... Um, it was amazing, as Peter was processing this, he realized that those promised words of Joel regarding the outworking and the outpouring of God's Spirit, it was coming true. He says in Acts 2.16, this is what Joel was talking about. Here it is. The, the, the manservants and the maidservants and the average Joes who, who follow Jesus, who are transformed by Jesus, they're going to have the Spirit of God in them. The words of Joel were fulfilled. And then the Spirit of God, from there, that, that time forth, would come upon all those who trust Jesus as their Savior. We don't have time to comb the New Testament to put together a, a, a theology of the indwelling Spirit of God. But we're told now that all those who trust Christ are baptized and indwelled by His Spirit. And this is a powerful, powerful truth that so often I find we, we don't operate in like I think God wants us to. I don't think we understand fully the resources and the, and the significance of this gift. But we'll come back a little bit more to the Spirit of God later. I'm going to return to this idea of spiritual gifts and the, the definition of spiritual gifts. The definition of spiritual gifts. So in this passage, Paul is, he, he doesn't give a lot of foundation regarding the Spirit of God. 
he's, he's discussing one of the ministries of the Spirit of God, and that is giving gifts to God's people. And so he says in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts. There's, uh, they're going to look different depending on how, uh, how he uh, discerns that we need them and, and who we are. And, and, and again, we'll get into that a little bit more here. In verse 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul uses the, the Greek word throughout this passage, uh, charisma, here to refer to gifts. We've borrowed that, that word in the English language, but the, the Greek word does not mean the same way we use it. Someone who's got a, a, a really full or boisterous personality, they've got a winsome personality. The, the Greek word charisma literally means a grace gift. It's an undeserved gift. It's something that is freely and graciously given, a, a favor bestowed. The word can be used to speak of God's gift of salvation. For example, in Romans 6.23, we're told the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, there it is, that word, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But Paul here is not specifically speaking about salvation in 1 Corinthians 12. He's speaking about a gift that's over and above God's saving grace, a, a grace gift. And it's easy for us to think of spiritual gifts as objects. After all, uh, most of our gifts that we receive are just that. They're, they're physical objects. They're something that can be, be touched and held, whether it's a Christmas present or a birthday gift uh, or something else that's handed to us and we unwrap. We think of it as an object. But I don't think God wants us to think of spiritual gifts as that way. Rather, the spiritual gifts go back to a who, not a what. It goes back to the Spirit of God himself. In fact, I think verse 7 sort of helps clarify that. And, and I think it helps define what a gift is. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The true gift here really is the Spirit of God, the presence of God in us. To paraphrase one writer, spiritual gifts are God's way of going public through his people. God is, is manifesting himself, showing himself in and through his people. But to clarify it further, I, I really like how Sam Storms has uh, defined spiritual gifts. And I think I put this up here. Yeah. Sam Storms writes, spiritual gifts are capabilities or abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity in order to serve other believers to the glory of God. And I want you to think about that just a second. So spiritual gifts are capacities or abilities. So if we're saying that the ultimate gift is the Spirit, th this is then Him manifesting abilities that enable us to do things that we normally couldn't do. Some of you uh, are very naturally gifted people. You have abilities in the natural realm, even before you met Jesus. Maybe it's, 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 a, it's something that you were trained for, you were educated in, something that you've worked hard for, you've taught yourself, you had a good mentor, or maybe watched a lot of YouTube videos, and you became skilled in this particular area. Some of you just have a natural ability to uh, be mechanical. Uh, my, my, um, uh, I have a cousin who, from a very young age, 
uh, his dad would let him uh, take like junk lawnmowers and just kind of do whatever he wanted with them. And that guy had the ability to just tear the whole engine apart and without a manual, without a U- long before YouTube, and put it all back together. Uh, just had a, a mind that understood and operated that way very, very well. Uh, many of you operate in different fields, and you're very gifted or talented in those fields. But that's not what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts uh, enable us to go beyond what we could do on our own. But it's so important that we see the purpose in order to serve other believers to the glory of God. And so as we think about uh, spiritual gifts, I wrote down from this passage and from the First Peter chapter 4 passage, uh, six truths about spiritual gifts. Like I said, we're not going to dive into the individual gifts this morning. We're going to get to that later on, what they are and what they might look like in the body of Christ. But I want us to take a few minutes this morning and do sort of a, sort of a bird's eye view of what spiritual gifts are. These are six truths here that I hope you grab a hold of. And um, there may not be anything new to you here, and, th- and that's okay. Uh, I, I want... I want I want God to speak to you through his word this morning, and I I trust that he will. And maybe there's something here that's not new, but it just brings back a reminder. It's a refresher to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God wants me uh, functioning that way. God God wants to do this through me. Maybe just even the realization that God wants to work through you will be a a powerful reminder this morning. But the first thing that I saw here as I was taking notes is that spiritual gifts are given to all believers. All believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 here, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each. Now, this flew in the face of what the Corinthians were believing, because they were believing that there were some who could be left behind, and that some were ultra-spiritual because they had the best gifts, in their opinion. And others were getting sidelined. If you look at the passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, it's verse 10, Peter says the same thing. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. For a long time, I've thought when God saves you, you get your gift, or two or three, and that's that. You're locked in. However, I'm beginning to think differently. It's it's, uh, not in this section that we read, but three times in his discussion on gifts, Paul is going to tell them to earnestly desire gifts. The word translated desire means uh, to be positively and intensely interested in something, to, to strive, to desire, to exert oneself for. I bring this up because while all believers have a spiritual gift, I think these texts indicate that we should even be willing to long for others, not in a way that means that we're unthankful or we lack uh, gratitude for how God has gifted us. But I believe that the Spirit of God is actively at work. It wasn't like we, we walked into our, our uh, relationship with God and we were, you know, stamped or handed a card and said, this is it, and the Spirit of God is done with us. I think this is an active, ongoing gifting and equipping. That could be revolutionary when you think about it deeply. You see, God wants to use you. That is not a past tense sort of a phrase. God at one time wanted to use you. 
or God wanted to work through you in the past, back when you were a certain age or had certain physical strength, or you were at a certain place in your life, God actively wants to be at work through you. Everyone has received a gift. And I believe, again, we'll we'll see it as we go throughout this whole passage here, but I believe that there's a general impression as you read this whole section together that Paul is saying God has gifted you and longs to continue to gift and equip you and empower you to what he has for you now and in the future. It's an active thing. It's a dynamic thing. It's an ongoing work in your heart and life. So often we focus on the past tense of the Christian faith. What Jesus did for me on the cross, and we should. Oh, we should. We talked about that last week. We must look back. But when we talk about the Spirit of God, we're reminded that just as importantly, there is a present-day working of God in our heart and life. And he longs for you to be convinced that you have received a gift. There is no room in the Christian faith for a believer who says, I'm not important to God. I'm not important to the body of Christ. I am not significant. God has equipped you. And if he has equipped you, he has done so for a purpose. And he longs for you to be functioning in the midst and out of that purpose. Secondly, I want us to see here that spiritual gifts are given by the will of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That word is in the passive. There's a difference between, uh, I don't know if you've gone to, uh, gone to a buffet uh, since all of COVID uh, transpired and whatnot. But there, there was a time when, when you would go to a buffet, you could choose what you wanted, and you could choose the amount of the food you wanted. If you were a Ponderosa and you wanted to get a whole plate of wings, you'd get a whole plate of wings. You didn't have to, to find out what someone else was going to give you. However, if you're at maybe school, back in the days of school lunchroom, you go through the line, you get what you're given, and you get the amount that you're given. You can ask for more. Uh, in, in my high school, the lunch lady went to my church, and she liked me. And so I, she'd kind of wink at me and give me an extra, extra scoop or an extra piece of pizza. It was kind of nice. I had like this inside thing going on. It was pretty cool. Um, here with the Spirit of God, the Bible says that it's, it's a passive thing. We're recipients of his gift. We don't, it's not a menu. We don't get to pick and choose and tell him what we want. And something I've found out about God is that he's far wiser than I am. I'll pick the things that I think I want, that I think are best, that I think I need. And the Spirit of God says, no, 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 no. I'm the one that gets to decide that. In fact, verse 11 confirms that even further. He says, uh, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That word apportion, it literally means like to divvy up. You get this, and that's my will. You're going to be gifted in this way, and that's my will. This morning, Christian, if, if you felt like, man, I, I'm not gifted like so-and-so, and you begin to compare yourself with somebody else, I'll stand up here and say I'm one of the first ones who's guilty of that. I love listening to other pastors, and I love listening to sermons and uh, podcasts. And you don't have to look very far, especially in the world of the Internet, 
to see, man, these, these successful ministries and these guys that have incredible followings. And it can be tempting to say, man, I, I wish I had that. I wish I, was, I could communicate like that pastor. I wish I could illustrate and just bring home and make people cry like that guy right there. That's, that's amazing. And, and when we get that kind of impression, again, as we said, I think the text is going to tell us that it's okay to ask for other gifts. But in a way that understands, God, I'm thankful for the way you've made me and equipped me. And if in your goodness and kindness you, you choose to give me another gift or to build on the giftedness, I would be grateful for that. But I am grateful for what you have done in my heart and life. And so... We need to remember that it's the Spirit of God who gets to pick and choose those gifts. And God always chooses well. God always gives good gifts. So don't ever think that you don't have a gift. And don't ever think that your gift is insufficient or not important in the body of Christ. Thirdly, spiritual gifts are given to edify the church body. The spiritual gifts are given to edify the church body. Verse 7, we'll go back to verse 7 once again in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For what? For the common good. For the common good. Peter, again, reiterates that in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its mission and calling until Jesus comes back. That, remi that reminds us and tells us that our gifts are not about us. They're not for us. They're not to make me get pats on the back or, or to somehow lift up my name or to make a name for myself or to minister to myself. They are for the body. They're for God's people. They're for the common good. You can see now the implications of spiritual gifts. We see that God wants to use you. And he wants to use you to minister to the people among whom he has placed you. There is purpose behind his gifting. There is purpose behind your being here in God's family. And he has equipped you to play a part. This is powerful. Because if we truly get this, we recognize that there is nobody in our midst who is insignificant and that everybody has a role to play. Paul's going to flesh this out a little bit more later on in chapter 12 when he uses the metaphor of the body. Furthermore, fourthly, we see that spiritual gifts are a stewardship. Spiritual gifts are a stewardship. We don't see that quite as much here or specifically in one verse in 1 Corinthians 12, although I think when you read all three of these chapters, you can draw out that sense. But 1 Peter 4.10 makes it even, uh, just, it, it just makes it explicit. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Man, Jesus had a lot to say about stewardship. You think about different times in your life when you've called to be a steward of something. You, you were given charge over or responsibility over something. Um, it, it could be, you know, there were times when, um, I remember when my, um, 
my, my brothers and I, we were homeschooled up uh, at least through our elementary days and, and our uh, junior high days. And at some point during that process, I can't remember exactly, but my mom uh, went back to work part-time. And there were days as I had become a teenager that I was left in charge of my younger brothers for a few hours at a time. And I realized that there was a responsibility. Oftentimes there were chores that were left that had to be accomplished uh, by the time mom and dad got home from work. We had no excuse to, uh, to put them off. Our homework usually didn't take that long, and we had all day long to do them. But inevitably, at about 4.30, we would look at the chore list and say, oh, wow, some of these are going to be sort of time-consuming, and maybe we should have looked at them at, oh, say, 1 o'clock or noon when we finished our schoolwork. And so we're scrambling around and rushing around to finish these chores. Uh, but I knew at the end of the day, like, if those things get done... As the oldest, I was going to be the one who uh, was the recipient of the questions. Why didn't these chores get done? I showed you the list. We walked through them before we left for work. Why didn't these things get done? I I had a stewardship, a responsibility to see that, that these things got finished, that these things were accomplished in the way that my parents wanted to see them accomplished. In the same way, we are given a gift as stewards. Again, Peter brings in the concept of grace. These are grace gifts. Not only are they graciously given to us, but they're ways for us to manifest God's grace among God's people. And he says, you're stewards of them. Use them wisely. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you being a good steward? Are you using them wisely? Are you enacting them? Are you living out of your giftedness? I've talked to some people who have never bothered figuring out or understanding what their spiritual gifts are. That is not stewardship. I've talked to some people who knew their gifts and just say, eh, follow it up with some lame excuse to why they're not using their gifts. That is not good stewardship. God has called us to be good stewards of his grace. He's shown us grace. He's given us grace gifts. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And we have the privilege of stewarding them and using them for his glory. Fifthly, spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit. This may go without saying, but we we must come back to this. I don't care uh, who you are. There are times in which we hit on autopilot when it comes to our gifts. Whether it's you name it, serving in some way, maybe you're teaching. There's a temptation to coast. Ah, I've done this so many times. I've, I've taught this class. I could, I, could teach, I could teach it with my eyes closed. I could, I could read the material with my eyes closed. I could show up without a, a moment's prep, and I could just walk in here, and I'd be just fine. There's a temptation to operate out of our own strength. And we need to remember that our spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit. Verse 11 says that. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit. 1 Peter 4.11 talks about serving in the strength God supplies. Gifts are more than even empowered by the spirit. They show or manifest him. They make him revealed in some way to others as we're strengthened by the spirit. How about you this morning? Are you serving in the strength that God supplies today? This is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Paul returns to it again and again and again. And I think he had to because I think Paul was a 
a pretty uh, eloquent speaker, a pretty powerful guy, a pretty gifted man, naturally. And I think he recognized to do the kind of work that God called him to do, he couldn't rely on his natural talents and gifts. He needed supernatural strength. He needed supernatural power. And that's what God has called us to do. You, you see, when you read the book of Acts, and you see the way that the, the church was impacting the world, none of it was possible without the Spirit of God. And I, I think as, as, as churches, we so often get in ruts and routines, and, and we, we come up with these systems or programs as to how we think we can accomplish ministry. And there's some great systems out there that can get a lot done. But you will never experience supernatural ministry apart from the Spirit of God. No system ever produced supernatural ministry. Made got, made got a lot done, made, made things efficient. But efficiency, systems, structure, while helpful, none of those things can be equated with the mighty outpouring of God's Spirit. We can't substitute we can't substitute anything for the power of the Spirit of God. You, you remember in Acts what, what they said about the apostles and the disciples? The, these are ignorant and unlearned men. And they've turned the world upside down. How do uneducated, unskilled Ordinary people turn a world upside down. I'll tell you, they don't. But with the Spirit of God working through them, worlds get flipped up. And then finally, spiritual gifts are for the glory of God. There's so much we could say about this, but Peter brings it out in verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul wants us to understand here, and Peter specifically in that passage, wants us to understand that at the end of the day, all of this is about the glory of God. These spiritual gifts are not given to exalt me, not exalt you, not even exalt a, a church or a ministry. They're given to exalt God's name. All the praise should resound to him. As we conclude this morning, I just want to leave you with this. I want to remind you, and it, it may just be so basic, and you may be like, yeah, duh, pastor. You, if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've trusted in Jesus, and what he's done for you upon the cross and in his resurrection, if you are a Christian, you are gifted by the Spirit of God. There is not a single ungifted Christian in this room or in the world. You have been given a grace gift by God. So my follow-up question for that to that is how are you stewarding that gift 
for God's glory, or gifts, plural. How are you using them for the glory of God? How are you using it for the common good? I'm not asking these questions to guilt those of you who may not be using them at all. I'm, I'm trying to prompt and encourage you so that you might be a part of the blessings that God wants to bring upon this church body through you. This is an opportunity and a privilege in, in, in the most powerful way to honor God and glorify God and bless somebody. There are people in this church, if you're not using your gifts, there are people in this church who are spiritually worse off because they're not experiencing the gifts that you have to offer the body. I realize that we could take that down an unhealthy trail and you could say, oh, my, my walk with the Lord is, I, I'm, I'm never going to reach my potential because I'm surrounded by bums. Now, that's not, that's not, I don't think what the text is trying to teach us. You have a part to play. You have a gift or gifts to use. Oh, may God stir your heart to use them. And if you're here this morning, and the whole time you're thinking, Pastor, this is fantastic, but I have no clue what my gifts are. I have no clue, but I want to find out. Well, we would love to help you. And one of the ways, and I don't think these, these sorts of tests are necessarily uh, uh, end-alls. I, I, they're not perfect or by any means. But if you go to our website, browncorners.org, uh, at the top of our page, we have, a, we have a link that says Get Involved. And if you click that link, there is a, right at the top of the heading there, we have uh, a process that we begin to walk through with you on how to understand what your gifts are and how you can begin to use them in the body of Christ. We want to help affirm your giftedness and help find ways for you to use those gifts for, your God and for, for God's glory. I, I know that there have been many times when the church has squelched gifts. There have been many times when, when we've not done a good job of supporting that giftedness. And we, we want to uh, repent of that and we want to um, come alongside and grow in that area of affirming and helping you to use your gifts so that you can be a blessing to the body of Christ and bring glory and honor and praise to our almighty God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, why you have been so good to us, I do not claim to be able to understand. I have never been able to figure out grace, God. I have never been able to understand your unmerited favor, your goodness and kindness towards sinners, who not only have done nothing to deserve it, but have done everything to make us unworthy. And yet, God, you have shown your goodness and kindness to us through Jesus Christ, through the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, and in a million different ways. This morning, God, I pray that you would bring a fresh kindling of the Spirit's giftedness in our midst. Lord, whatever that looks like, we want your Spirit to work mightily in our midst. Lord God, speak to hearts this morning. Speak to hearts who, who may not know their gifts. Lord, show us how we can come alongside and help them. God, for those who know that they've been sitting on their gifts, maybe it's because they've been hurt by the church. Maybe it's because the cares of this world have uh, occupied their lives in so many ways that they're, they're not functioning out of their giftedness. I don't know, God, you know. I pray that this morning there would be a, a heart change, a conviction, a fresh kindling of that giftedness and that longing to, to 
bless your people through the power of the Spirit working in their lives. Lord God, I'm excited to hear and see what you're going to do in our midst as you equip us for these tasks that you have for us, these divinely appointed tasks. And I pray that we would all see that the body of Christ is much more beautiful and much more honoring to you when we're operating in the way that you designed out of the strength that you supply. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. May God bless you and strengthen you this week as you use your gifts for his glory.